0: Semiconductors, as I was saying, are everywhere, and the moment in which you don't have them available, then the economy almost stops. Always being open to learn, always being open to grow your network, and being exposed to people that have been there already. I believe that the UK government has to do something for the semiconductor industry, which is not just protecting their own industries. It's it's about defining a semiconductor strategy.
1: First, a quick message from our sponsor. Sourcing tech talent and delivering your software roadmap shouldn't be difficult. That's why DZ connects high growth companies with some of the best pre-vetted developers from across the world. Whether supporting your in-house team, building your dream dev squad, or delivering a project end-to-end, DZ's unique model is trusted by businesses globally to help them rapidly execute software development. Deezy is offering all UKTN listeners a 10% discount on their first engagement. Go to DZ.com slash UKTN to access quality development teams today. Hello and welcome to the UKTN podcast, a weekly conversation with founders of some of the UK's high growth tech companies each episode, we will talk through the founder's personal journey, their vision for their business, and their views of the wider tech industry. I'm Jane Wakefield, and joining me today is Dr. Georgia Longabardi, founder and CEO of Cambridge GAN Devices. Thank you for joining me, Georgia. Before we get into your fascinating company and the tech behind it, I just wanted to talk a little bit about your background. And it seems to me that in some ways you had the dream STEM career studied engineering, a member of the Royal Academy, and now an entrepreneur. So my first question is, what have you learned from that, that you would pass as advice to other young women in an industry desperate to get more young girls involved?
0: Yes. Thank you very much, Jane, for this conversation. So, yes, I've started with a degree in engineering, but I had to say before that I was studying philosophy, Latin and Greek. So it was an interesting (laughs) beginning of the journey, right? that's one of the things I've learned, which is if you like something, it doesn't matter how much you know already or it doesn't matter what's your background, you can always make the step and just put your heart and hard work into what you want to do and, and then you're going to be able to do it. And I was lucky enough to be supported by the Royal Academy of Engineering, in fact, in my entrepreneurial journey. They have helped me in... You know, assessing some of the uh, best minds in terms of entrepreneurship and access to workshops that have supported me grow, and that's I think one of the things I would say is that uh, is a key in this journey. Is always being open to learn, always being open to grow your network and being exposed to people that have been there already. Sometimes as a, when you don't see as many people looking like you, one might think, and, and, and that's to go back to the question of, of the young girls, one might think, okay, maybe it's not for me. Well, it's, it's not like that. It's what's for you or what's not for you depends on what you want to do, not what the other people are doing. And that's the big lesson I've learned in my journey.
1: And you went to the University of Cambridge, Cambridge obviously has a reputation for uh, spinning out a lot of tech companies, Silicon Fen attempting to be an alternative to Silicon Valley in some ways. So tell me a bit about what it was like to spin out a company from Cambridge and also, you know, what's the scene up there like? Is it buzzing? Is there lots of of startups?
0: Yes, I think you said it right. It does feel like the Silicon Fen and the more we go ahead, the more they add supports to companies and to startups and to academics that want to spin out. In fact, there is currently a program called Innovate Cambridge that is aiming at even expanding this uh, Silicon pen type of impact. How was it? Well, I was doing a lot of research. I was doing a PhD, then uh, several fellowships in a college in, in Cambridge, Conville and keys, And so I had the, somehow the freedom to think about what I wanted to do. I wasn't Really linked to a specific project, in particular during my postdoctoral years. And that gave me the opportunity to really read about new things and to explore, you know, parts of my research that weren't necessarily related to something that I had to demonstrate for someone else. So I think the first thing I would say that Cambridge gives, and maybe that is a particular situation for myself, because the fellowship, not everyone has a fellowship in the college, but that's freedom to think and to be, you know, the owner of my of my results, including from an IP point of view, which is crucial when you want to start up a company, it was unique and it really gave me the opportunity to to try, because that's what it is, right? Especially when a company is based on research, you need to innovate, you need to do something different, and it has to come from, from you. The, the second thing is the ecosystem really was absolutely supportive. Cambridge Enterprise in Cambridge has which is the commercialization branch of the University of Cambridge helping academics spinning out. that really supported me in in doing the first steps, you know there was this uh, postdoc competition I think when I when I saw it, I just said, all right, okay I I, I want to do it. I have an idea. I didn't know how to write a business plan back then. I I didn't know what it was. That's what I say often I just bought a book about writing business plan, but it wasn't. It had nothing to do with semiconductor industry, so I read it, and then and then I went to this competition, and the first time I pitched, it was all about electric fields and potential and thing, and nothing to do with what an investor would connect with. And the competition itself and the mentoring helped me somehow make the step between being an academic and and you know being able to describe your research to an investor and a wider audience. Um, so yes, the ecosystem in Cambridge is very supportive and I think that was definitely one of the things that have contributed to the, the beginning of my company.
1: Now let's talk a little bit about that company and I guess the first question is to try and dig beneath the technology a bit because what's really radical about you in terms of semiconductors is that you offer an alternative to silicon so explain to me how that works. Yeah, and that's, that's brilliant, right? Because everybody
0: knows silicon and these days everybody knows what a semiconductor is, which is a good starting point with respect to a few years back. So we work with a material which is called gallium nitride. The beautiful thing about this material, which is fabricated elsewhere because we are a fabulous semiconductor company, but the beautiful thing about this material is that it's the most efficient semiconductor material, energy efficient. So what that means that if you do a chip with this semiconductor material, then you can save on the energy that is going through this transistor, this chip. And now if you imagine that these transistors, these power devices are used in you know, the power supplies, for example, or the mobile phone, the computer, data centers, electric vehicles, where the power use is, is, is very high. That means that every time you charge up one of these devices, you are saving a lot of energy because it's simply not wasted as heat. So every time you have heat on your devices, you're not using that energy. You're just wasting it. And the beautiful thing about Kalyon I and what we do is giving a solution that can be as performant as the silicon chip, as easy to use as a silicon chip, but at the same time, it doesn't get as hot, so it doesn't waste energy. And in a context of, you know, even even energy prices increasing or trying to reduce CO2 emissions, that's really quite key. Many people now talk and connect about the semiconductor industry, but not as many are still aware that power electronics and the energy, you know, the energy transformation that is happening these days, it's depending on power electronics and making power drinks, more energy efficient, And that's what we do. And that's what, what I love to be honest, because you know you have research and at the same time,
1: of course, you're saving all these uh, power losses. And you talk there about one of the key aspects being that you're fabless. Now fab plants take a long time to build and are hugely expensive. Given the world shortage of chips, I'm surprised that the intels of the world aren't beating your door down for this technology. Have you had interest from those more traditional Chip companies.
0: There are lots of companies nowadays that are looking into gallium nitride. Uh, there are the big giants in the in the power device world. Uh, companies like Infineon, for example, STMicroelectronics, TI. Uh, they are interested in gallium nitride. What we have unique is within the chip is literally the smartness that makes the transistor easier to use and and, and somehow. Uh, more reliable because you had to imagine that in very small dimensions there are lots of small circuits that can react if something doesn't go as planned and in an application without there is a high power the smarter it is the better it is because it makes it more reliable and safer um so that came out of years of research and really deep understanding of the transistor which is something that was possible thanks to the, uh, the, the PhD, uh, thanks to the research done at the university on top of years of experience of, of, of uh, in, in power devices in general. So I would think that they are interested and um, um, you- surely seeing us as a main competitor, I can tell you, despite the fact that we are a small, a small startup yet, but they do absolutely
1: see the value of what we have. Devices that are powered by your systems, they would be greener, they would be more energy efficient. What does that mean in terms of helping the environment and in terms of providing us with more energy for our devices? Because it's a frustration of many people that they have to charge their devices regularly. Do you save them that job? what's What's the change both for consumers and the wider environment? It is a very good question, Jane. And it has two different
0: answers depending if it's consumer or a higher power. So the data centers I was mentioning before. So for the consumer, if you have something that doesn't waste too much energy, you can have your mobile phone or your computer is charged up just much faster. Because for the same amount of time, you are transferring more energy to the battery of your appliance. So rather than waiting, I don't know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, it's one third of that approximately. So it will be 10 minutes. And the same type of logic can be applied to electric vehicles, for example, because these transistors for higher powers will be used in onboard chargers. So again, in that case, it it wouldn't be 30 minutes. It can take all the way to a few hours. So you can reduce significantly the amount of time taken to charge up the battery of an electric vehicles. It has also another beautiful advantage that by being more energy efficient, so getting less hot again, you can make the circuit much smaller and that means that when you have something very big, like in an electric vehicle, you can say space, you can say space, you can make it lighter. And it's something very much wanted by the manufacturer of electric vehicles because, you know, you have so much electronics and you'll have to look at the weight of the of the vehicle as well. So having something compact and so more energy efficient, it's, it's ideal. What's beautiful about the impact on the energy is when you talk about power levels for applications such as electric vehicles, but also the data centers. So data centers are one of the most unsustainable technologies, I would say, because they need a lot of power in these data centers. You have thousands of computers and and they are big and they are hot and they consume a lot of power. Now, by using our transistors in those data centers, you can save, you know, at least 10 percent in energy bills if you consider one of those big ones. And and that is translated, I think I was making that calculation at one point, to 9 million metric tons of CO2 emissions. Now, what's that? It's 20 million barrels of oil consumed per year. That's how much you would say per year. So it's a huge amount of energy saved. And that's one of the things I would like to do going ahead, really trying to communicate how much just saving the energy we have is important as funding alternative sources of energy. So they really have to
1: go together because we don't have to waste what we have already. And you mentioned data centers there. I'm guessing that that's going to be a focus for your company In 2023, can you tell us a bit more about those plans? Yes, we are um, partnering with
0: uh, several uh, customers to deliver the products in the data center market. We currently have four products in the consumer electronics market and the one in the data center is going to come up in in the next month. The way in which this works in the data center is that the value chain is much more complex. So the company has to enter into discussions with the, the several players within the value chain. And that's what CGD is going to do, at what Cambridge Gun Devices is going to do in 2023. We have already signed a partnership that will help us develop reference designs for those power levels. One that is in the news recently was with New Ways Electronics with whom we also do solar panel inverters. And we will continue for 2023 to do do the same and really showing how our technology can be adopted into this application much quicker because it's easier to use and it's, it's, it's smarter, as I was mentioning before. It has all this unique circuitry inside that makes it more reliable.
1: A quick message from our sponsor. Access to high-quality and cost-effective talent is one of the biggest growth obstacles facing companies. DZ exists to solve this problem. In a challenging market, businesses need to focus on reducing overheads, all while pushing for meaningful growth. DZ's one-to-many model provides access to an ecosystem of hand-picked development teams, engaged on a flexible basis and at competitive rates. Visit Deezy.com slash UKTN for an exclusive 10% discount for all podcast listeners. You've talked a lot about the benefits and it feels, you know, they're greener, they're energy efficient. They offer lots of great alternatives to the traditional way of doing it. Being fabulous is amazing. And your investment is considerable, but I do question why it isn't bigger. And the cynical journalist in me is, is, is asking, there's got to be some downsides to this. Tell me about those. Is it expensive to manufacture? There's got to be a catch somewhere here, right? It is challenging to bring it to market because, first of all, it's a
0: new technology. Um, so you had to convince the customer that there is an advantage into having something that is more efficient. And and, and sometimes it's, it's not the efficiency per se you had to demonstrate an economical advantage as well. And there are two ways to do that. Are they, and that's one of the things that we are doing. Either you influence parties that are setting regulations in such a way that energy efficiency standards are set for accepting technologies like ours. So there is that part of the journey to be done to influence the uh, the market. And and the second is the work with the customers to show the value proposition and and the value pricing of the technology. It is more expensive than a silicon device, in fact, but the way in which the customers are convinced about it is one, the efficiency, second, the size of the world circuit, and third, and third, the cost of the circuits. Because if you have something that is more efficient and something that is easy to use, you can remove some of the components in the circuits that are needed to drive these transistors. So the overall system solution cost is actually comparable, if not better, than with silicon. And that's the work that we have to do with our customers to really show how it works. So it's it's more work within the customer relationship than a silicon company would have to do. But the, with time, they
1: are accepting it and it's actually picking up quite fast. Now, chips have been talked about in the last year, probably more than they've been talked about for a long time, because everybody's noticing that... Things are just not available because of the supply chain. What's your personal experience of of where we are with that now? Is are things starting to move, and are we going to see breakthroughs? Yes, I think that's a very uh, good point.
0: In a way, that was a good. It was in the news because, as I said, the general public now is aware of how important semiconductors are. But at the same time, for companies in the business, I must say it hasn't been a, an easy an easy period. So ourselves, as any other semiconductor company, we had um, to very carefully plan with our suppliers to make sure that we could deliver to the customers what they were asking at the time they were asking. And there were moments of planning and extra supports required by the the, the supply chain to somehow um, overcome these, these issues. And I had to say in the past couple of years, that was the most critical period. But what's then we have seen is that many of the foundries have invested into expanding their capacity. And some of the new companies have initiated also to, you know, the development of new funders. Um, so Intel, for example, is one of the examples they have invested in that. But there are other, other many other companies that have done it. And in some cases, thanks also to the EU CHIP Act, or the US bill, a semiconductor bill. So things have changed and I can see now already that the situation is much, much easier. So there is capacity for growing. And I think we're coming out of that very critical period, which was mainly towards the 2021, 2022.
1: You mentioned there about the US and actually The chip industry seems in the last year, whether as a result of the shortages and the sort of attention on the industry or just part of a wider societal change, but it seems to be coming really wrapped up in geopolitics. We've seen the UK government reverse the takeover of Newport Wafer Fab uh, because of its ownership ties to China. What are your views on that and the wider picture around the chip industry becoming splintered along political lines yeah
0: i can see that and i see why every single country uh, looks at its you know own industry because semiconductors as i was saying are everywhere and the moment in which you don't have them available then the economy almost stops we have seen it's also with availability of cars And the whole supply chain was disrupted a couple of years ago. My view is that I think the the best way forward is to anyway join forces with uh, other countries. I'm not sure that uh, looking in particular if the industry within the country is not strong enough, looking at protecting it without having a strong relationship with other countries would be a successful move. I really believe that so far the semiconductor industry has grown thanks to the freedom to collaborate with several countries. Um, So I can see that the geopolitical matters are playing a role and of course we are very careful about all of that. But in particular I believe that the UK government has to do something for the semiconductor industry which is not just protecting their own industries. It's it's about defining a semiconductor strategy. And that is what I, I would like to see. And there has been a lot of talks about that. I hope that it's going to come up anytime soon. But uh, having a UK semiconductor strategy is the most important thing to do before stopping any other things, in my opinion.
1: The government has, of course, come in for some criticism for delaying the publication of its semiconductor strategy. UKTN has seen some leaks from it, such as subsidies for chip startups. Is that something that you want to see? I mean, what's the nitty gritty of that strategy? What should be in it? Do you think?
0: I think the semiconductor industry is very wide, so trying to have a semiconductor industry that would necessarily promote the whole semiconductor industry wouldn't be perhaps as successful because it would it would require too much investment. Um, for me, a semiconductor a strategy within the UK should look at what can create. Some immediate impacts, so to gain the confidence of of the public as well, to then invest more, and that is one of the most tricky things to do. I had to say, it's it's about communicating that the semiconductor industry doesn't move as as fast as many others. It's like thinking at one point I don't remember whom, but they were thinking about as investing in you know the train infrastructure. Nobody would expect that the train infrastructure is put together in a couple of years. So it's, it's about communicating that the investment is needed for the supply chain in particular to grow, but also giving a time frame for impact that is not too short and at the same time not too long so that the impact can be seen. One of the things that I believe should be essential is also establishing partnerships with key suppliers We don't have a strong foundries within the UK and that's the base, as you can imagine, of, you know, any semiconductor. So there isn't too much publication going on in the UK. So having links with either countries or specific companies that are supplying the semiconductors
1: should be within the semiconductor strategy. I think this would be the two points, I would say. (laughs) And on that question of links with other companies, I'm just going to go briefly back to the China question. UKTN recently revealed that Flosso, another Cambridge chip startup, had been wholly acquired by a Chinese firm, and I believe that you have shares in Flosso, so you're directly involved in in some of this kind of geopolitics. What, what's your thoughts on that? I'm not part of the management of that company, so I I prefer
0: not to not to comment on that situation.
1: Yes, no problem. Let's talk something that a, a bit more than about one of your big passions, which is sustainability. How do you think that the tech industry is doing overall? Uh, we see loads and loads of innovations and so many startups now have sustainability at their heart, but you don't necessarily see those startups impacting change. Why is that? I think it, is, it takes quite a
0: lot of time for really change the way things are done. And it's a matter of being resilient. So it's, it's proposing the change. And then influencing other companies to follow the same path. And that is a change of culture which requires time. So, one of the missions of CGD is to make a change not only with bringing a much more energy efficient product, but really showing how companies in Startup can impacts the way in which things are done for, for being much more sustainable. What we have, for example, within the company, also when we did the office move, everything that we acquired, including the logo, was recyclable and recycled. So it's about doing things and it's about talking about those things. And then people at first, they would react, okay, maybe that is not needed. But then if they see that there is a movement and things can be done, then they will also adopt these new ways of, of, of doing things within the office, for example, or um, as part of their governance of the company. So I do think that there is a change. It's just slow because it's a cultural change and as any
1: cultural change, it takes time and um, perseverance. And you talked about influencing. One of the things that uh, these tech companies have to influence is government policy. And we see government talks on the issue of sustainability happening all the time, most recently, the UN's COP27, when lots of important people flew into Sharm el-Sheikh. But how many of those people were tech startups? We really need to get these tech companies like you and like other startups that are offering radical solutions around the table with government, don't we?
0: Yeah, I think you. it is a very good point. Uh, also because startups usually see things in a different way and they are, as you were saying before, also trying to, th- uh, to change things. There were a few startups at the uh, COP26 I was attending, but in in, in parallel events, right? That uh, rather than at the main conference, and I think we should open up, and in general, governments should open up to having more startups into these events. Because uh, what I've seen is that even with co fellows, entrepreneurs, there is this willingness to to change, this willingness to 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 show how things can be done differently, and and that's one of the things you know that relates to having diversity within within this particular sector which is if you have a startup a startup is a different stage of their of their growth and they are still how can i say there is that dream about making a change factor that is very important in these type of topics uh, because you really had to dream it's at such a big things to change uh that you have to have that power you have to have that enthusiasm you have to have that different way of thinking to make that change. So absolutely, I agree with you. I think most startups should be involved into these discussions.
1: Now, we started this discussion talking about you being a woman in a very male-dominated tech industry. I want to end by seeing what you think about the future. One of my guests on this podcast was Anne Bowden, who has been in the tech industry for 30 years. And she said she doesn't think that much has changed. As a young woman, would you agree with her? (laughs) ha <laughs> that's the one million dollar questions. <laughs>
0: not as much. I think we are not there yet. I think things have changed. Depending on where you are and the industry you are in, you can have more or less support. In my career, I was lucky enough to have many people that have supported me and not really made me feel different. But we're not there yet. And it all goes down also to the strength of the individual and the confidence of the individual. And um, sometimes that can be challenging. So
1: quite a lot more has to be done, I had to say. Sadly, I think I agree with you. Well, Georgia, thank you so much for joining me. But that's all we have time for on this week's edition of the UKTN podcast. Thank you all, wherever you are, for listening. To keep up to date with all the latest UK tech developments, head over to www.uktech.news. Don't forget to follow UKTN on LinkedIn and Twitter, and do get in touch with me via LinkedIn or Twitter, at Jane Wakefield, with your comments and suggestions about the show. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. A quick message from our sponsor. Access to high-quality and cost-effective talent is one of the biggest growth obstacles facing companies. Deezy exists to solve this problem. In a challenging market, businesses need to focus on reducing overheads, all while pushing for meaningful growth. DZ's one-to-many model provides access to an ecosystem of hand-picked development teams, engaged on a flexible basis and at competitive rates. Visit dzcom UKTN for an exclusive 10% discount for all podcast listeners.